0: All right. Well, we're so glad that you're here. It's better when we're together, isn't it? Last week we kicked off a new series on 1 Corinthians. It's about unity. It's about who we are together in Christ, about who we are in Christ. And that's why Paul's writing this letter. He's writing the letter to the church in Corinth to remind them of who they are together in Christ. That's what we looked at last week. Paul opened his letter up with words of encouragement. He encouraged them in their individual identity in Christ, and then he encouraged them in who they are As the local body of Christ. As we move through the rest of this series, we're going to see Paul starts to move in and address some areas that are causing a division within the church. And today we're going to move into that first division that Paul uh, sees. And that's one of the ones uh, where uh, they have become wise in their own eyes. And Paul addresses the idea of where does real wisdom come from? What is wisdom? And he addresses the issue of pride, self centeredness. And so he, he starts to correct. Uh, the church in Corinth, because they have kind of gotten off track. You see, they were new believers. Paul had left them. He hadn't been with them for very long. And when he left them, it wasn't soon after that that they kind of got off track and kind of went back to their prior ways. And so you know what it's like when you first make a faith commitment, you're excited, or you come to church and you're excited, then you walk out the door and what happens? The world starts to work against you. And that's what happened to these new believers in the church in Corinth, And so Paul's writing them to remind them of, of who they are in Christ, but he's also addressing this issue of pride, self-promotion, and those are the things that will always cause a division in the church. I don't believe that we have issues with pride and division in our church, and I think one of the reasons is because we have a clear vision, we have a clear pathway, and we are focused on who we are in Christ. But it is a warning for us as a church not to be distracted by the things of this world and to keep our eyes on him. Before we get started, I just want to encourage you, let's pray together and ask that God would uh, just give us wisdom and clarity about what he would have for us this morning together. Father, I just want to thank you for this day you've given us today. I thank you that we could celebrate new life. I thank you for the the hope that is ours uh, because of the work that was accomplished at the cross. I thank you for the opportunity we have to identify with you and to celebrate with others who they are in Christ. And so, God, we just want to lift this service up to you I pray that as we open up your word together this morning, uh, that you would just give us wisdom and clarity as to what you would have for us. And uh, God, we just commit our time to you for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. Well, I want to invite you for a moment to, uh, to look at these pictures with me for a second. And I want to ask you how you would feel if when you walked into the service this morning, when you came in through the front doors, how you would feel if you had seen a big, guillotine, right in the middle of the lobby, ready to do an execution? Or what would you think if when you came into the sanctuary, instead of having the baptismal trough over here, we had a, an elaborate gallows set up, ready for an execution? Or maybe on this side, instead of having the electric piano, we had old Sparky. Maybe we had a big, shiny, you know, electric chair. What kind of feelings and emotions does that cause you to respond with? Even asking those questions seems a little weird, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, they're kind of weird questions. You know, the images of a guillotine, an electric chair, and a gallows. Those things are creepy, right? Those are creepy, and, and it's, uh, it causes us to squirm. It creates a little bit of discomfort. It's like, wow, okay, what's the point? What's that all about? There's a lot of discomfort around executions and those kind of things. But you know what's interesting is that these are the same thoughts and the same feelings that those first century Christians, those first century Jewish community would have had when they thought about the cross or the word crucifixion. You say the Romans were really good about executing people. They had that down to a science. And the worst of them, the worst way to execute somebody in that time by far and not just because of the pain that it caused, but in terms of its cultural shock value, in terms of the shame that it brought on the person that was being punished, was crucifixion. Crucifixion was reserved for traitors, for the worst criminals, for those that had committed the most heinous crimes and atrocities. It was by far the absolute Worst way to be put to death. That's what the cross and the crucifixion meant to the early Jewish community. But what does the cross mean for us today? When you look at the cross, how do you feel about that? You see, not only is the cross today accepted, but it's embraced, it's celebrated. There's a big difference between what was happening 2,000 years ago and what's happening today. And what's the difference? The difference is because we know what was accomplished for us on our behalf at that cross, right? You know, the cross now is something that we embrace. It's a symbol of what? What's it a symbol of? It's a symbol of God's forgiveness. It's a symbol of God's grace. It's a symbol of new life and, and hope. But for the first century Jewish community, it was the ultimate source of shame. Much worse than an electric chair, a gallows, or a guillotine. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians one eighteen. He says this, The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is what? It is the power of God. There's something mysterious that happened at that cross, isn't there? See, first century Jews, they were waiting for a king. They were waiting for a savior. They were waiting for a liberator. They were waiting for somebody that was going to redeem the Jewish people and establish them in power. And just the idea that Jesus could be that Messiah was foolishness to them. It was silly, based on the fact that he was a servant, he didn't even have a home. He didn't have an army and he died on a cross that's our messiah it sounded completely foolish it sounded like folly but to those of us who believe for those of us who are being saved Jesus death on the cross is a reflection of the full power of god jesus is the son of god he's our savior he died at the cross He paid the penalty for our sin at the cross. He rose from the grave after the cross. He gave us the Holy Spirit after the cross. He ascended into heaven and will come again. And the cross is a symbol of the hope that we have because of who we are in Christ. The cross has a completely different meaning for us today than it did back then. For those of us being saved, the word of the cross is the power of God. That's the good news. That is the gospel, and that is where we find wisdom. You see, it is the wisdom of God's plan to save us through the power that is demonstrated at the cross. That's where we find what wisdom is. That's what those that were baptized this morning all confessed. That's what all those who call themselves Christians have confessed. We believe in the power of the cross, and we have accepted and asked Christ to be our Savior. And being saved is because of God's grace and our faith in him is where we find our assurance. But for those that don't embrace the cross, they don't embrace this wisdom of God's plan, they have their own plan and they are perishing. You see, the reality of the situation is, is that you can pay the penalty for your own sin. The cost of that is eternal separation from God. And so if you choose your own plan, there's a consequence for that. But for those that Believe in the cross. That's where we find the assurance of our salvation. And so, in one sense, we get to participate with God in that plan because it is the power of God that is drawing each of us into a relationship with Himself. And if you don't have a relationship with Christ yet, if you haven't had an opportunity to publicly confess your faith in Christ, or you have questions about what a relationship with Christ is, I am so glad that you are here today because you need to know that it's the power of God and what was accomplished at the cross that gives you the assurance of living out life to the full now and living out life to the full for eternity in God's presence. That is the power and the good news about God. And that's what Paul's concern is this morning, is is he looks to write this letter to the Corinthian church. See, the Corinthian church has been slipping back. They embraced the cross, but then they started to slip back. And their self-centeredness, their pride, their arrogance, their self-promotion, they return to worldly wisdom. And they start thinking like they had thought in the past. It's causing a division in their church. And so Paul writes to them to encourage them and to confront three major issues with the worldly wisdom that has slipped into their church. It's creeping back in. And he wants to remind them about what the wisdom of God is. We know that the wisdom of God has three realities from our passage this morning. They're all based in three realities. They're understanding, experiencing, and proclaiming the power of God. God's wisdom of the cross must be understood. We have to understand what that wisdom is. We have to understand what it is we're doing and why we're here. And then we have to experience that as well. And then we need to proclaim that to other people. Paul compares worldly wisdom to the wisdom of the cross in verses 18 through 25. And that's the first thing we want to look at. That first reality is that we must understand what the wisdom of the cross is. And you see that in verses 18 through 25. And if you brought your Bible, you can read along with me. Or if you uh, have our YouVersion Bible app, um, you can search events. There's a link there for that as well. But let's read First Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 25 together. The word of the cross is folly to those that are perishing, but to us of being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God that through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. The Jews demanded signs and the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than that of men. And so Paul is writing in this first section to point out that worldly wisdom and the wisdom of unbelievers opposes the wisdom of God that's revealed to us in the gospel. And so we can live life out our way and we can live out doing what we think is right, or we can look to the wisdom of God and live out our life and understand what he says is right. And the first century, Christians didn't, had kind of forgotten that, in the church in Corinth, and so Paul's writing to correct them on that, and he appeals to a passage from Isaiah chapter 29, verse 14. It's where Isaiah is actually rebuking the Israelites. The Israelites had turned their back on God. They were far from God. They had wandered, and and, and Isaiah is rebuking the Israelites and telling them to knock it off, you're you're living for yourself. You've gone back to your own way of life. You need to turn back to God. And so Paul uses that same passage that Isaiah had used with the Israelites to apply it to the church in Corinth. He's telling them, in other words, you know, you are living out your life in what you think is wise, and you've turned from God's wisdom. You're relying on yourself and not on God. You're trusting your own outlook. You're trusting your own sense of understanding rather than on God. And Paul says that's what you're doing and you need to stop. And as we turn back in and look specifically at verses 22 through 24, he says this then, the Jews demand signs and and the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. It's a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And so he's telling them, hey, look, you, you have two different ways that you can live. And he says, he says, look at what the Jewish community is doing. Look what the Jews are doing. They're, they're demanding signs. They were constantly asking Jesus to prove that he was who he said he was. They were constantly challenging him. They were constantly trying to test him. They were constantly seeking after signs. And so Jesus kept answering them, and he was even giving them miracles, and they kept denying the miracles. The Jews were constantly looking for signs, to test Jesus and still didn't believe. And then the Greeks at that time, they were all about the wisdom in that part of their country, in that era. I mean, the the Greeks were known for their knowledge. They had the libraries, there was wisdom, there was philosophers, there was all this knowledge and they were seeking after Christ and wanting to test him based on what they knew. And so they were seeking wisdom from a worldly perspective, from a human perspective as they tested Jesus, to test and see who he was. It says, look, it's, it's a stumbling block to the Jews, and it's a folly to the Gentiles to try and understand what God's doing on your own terms. But to those who are called Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. See, all those early Christians were primarily Jews, and then the Gentiles and the Greeks got grafted into that, so not everybody didn't believe. Some did. Most didn't. In fact, Jews today are still looking for signs. They're still waiting for a Messiah. And the Greeks today are still trying to rationalize the philosophy. And, I mean, people are still lost and confused. We need to understand where real wisdom comes from. It's rooted in what Christ accomplished for us at the cross. For those that are called, Christ is the power and the wisdom of God. That's what Paul says we preach. Christ crucified, a stumbling block to some, salvation for others. And we need to understand that it's important to us at Springbrook. You know, you can walk into some churches today, and you're not going to hear that message. In fact, when I was growing up, I went to a church where the pastor had a newspaper, and he would talk about what was going on in the news. And we talk, you know, you come to some churches, and there might not be a Bible there. You know, I was at a church before I came to Springbrook, and one of the leaders of a local church. I had met you know, out in the community, and, and they got me aside, and they said, are you one of them, they're Bible-believing churches? I was like, well, yeah, what, what are you? He goes, do you really believe Jesus is the only way to heaven? I was like, right, yeah, what do you believe? So you can go into different churches, and, and, and you, can, you can hear different ideas about what different men or women think, or there's different sources for what happens in, in local churches. You need to know that what happens in Springbrook is rooted in who we are in Christ in the Bible. That's important. That's where the wisdom of God manifests itself. It's through Christ at the cross. We teach the good news about Jesus and how to grow in your faith and then go out and impact the world. That's what we're called to do. And everything that we do at Springbrook falls into one of those categories. I don't know if you noticed, but during the announcements, when Rebecca was talking about the announcements, every one of those opportunities had a place where it was connected to your spiritual growth. You know, we're going to do trunk or treat. You know, there's going to be thousand people coming through Springbrook. Why do we do that? Because we want to reach our community for Christ. That's an opportunity for us to connect with people in our community. And so that falls into our evangelism and outreach category. You know, we have our, our starting point class coming up. That's designed to help people to make sure they understand what does it mean to be connected to Christ and what does it mean to be connected to the local body of Christ and how can we help you grow. Our small groups. They're part of growing in your faith. Our our spiritual gifts class is about equipping you for ministry, helping you to serve, builds up the body of Christ and, and equips you for what God has for us together as a church as we seek to reach a community for Christ. Everything that we do at Springbrook points to Christ and is designed to help us grow in our faith. We need to understand what real wisdom is and where it comes from. Wisdom is rooted in who we are in Christ and demonstrated for us at the cross. God's wisdom is stronger than man's wisdom. People cannot earn God's favor. We are all separated. We're all in need of being rescued from the bondage of sin and the punishment. And we find that solution in who we are in Christ. And Paul wants the Corinthians to first understand what God's wisdom is. And then second, he wants them to be able to experience it. And so it's not just enough to know it, we need to experience it. And so as we move into the next few verses, in in, uh, verse 26 through 31, Paul talks about how do we experience God's wisdom. He says, consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose some in what is foolish of the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us the wisdom of God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, so that it is written, Let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. And so Paul's point to the Corinthians is that you need to experience this wisdom as well you have understood it you need to experience it and it contradicts what you know in your own mind and it contradicts your own wisdom and Paul reminds them that they were at once foolish and lowly you know Paul reminds them of they were not of noble birth and he's not trying to ridicule them he's trying to point out to them that look there is nothing innate in you that gives you access to God we're all lowly we're all we're all weak Romans 3.23 says we're all sinful. We're all fall short of the glory of God. So Paul reminds them of their position, not to demean them, but to help them to understand that there's nothing that they can do on their own, that they're messed up, and they don't need to be divided. They just need to focus on who they are in Christ. In verse 26, he said this. He said, consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were noble birth." He's not trying to push them down. He's trying to say, hey, look, none of you could have accomplished this on your own. It's consider your calling. Have you experienced the calling of God in your life? Well, that was the John six forty four passage. No one comes to the Christ unless the Father calls him. And if you have a relationship with Christ, you can celebrate the fact that God, in his good and perfect plan, saw fit to call you into a relationship with himself. And if you don't, I'm glad you're here today. The Spirit of God is working in your life and around you, prompting you, softening your heart, and drawing you into a relationship with himself. It's very much a work of God that we're able to experience the wisdom of God. So we have to know it, and we have to understand it. In other words, don't think too highly of yourself. And because of God's call on your life, you're able to experience it. To resolve any pride or boasting, Paul reminds them, of why they believe in Jesus Christ. It's because in God, he called them into Christ Jesus. You know, 73 times Paul talks about in his letters, he uses the term in Christ Jesus, describing the saving relationship that we have by God's grace through faith. It is a gift from God designed for us to experience. Our righteousness is our right standing before God. When God looks down at you, he doesn't just see somebody that's messed up. He sees the righteousness of Christ. We are set apart and different because of who we are in Christ. Our sanctification is our growing in faith. It's becoming more Christ-like. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in us, conforming us to the image of his Son. And then we have been redeemed. Our salvation is secure. We have been rescued from our sin, and we are secure because of who we are in Christ. And as a result of experiencing this wisdom, Paul says, look, if you're going to boast, just boast because of who you are in the Lord. We boast because of who we are in the Lord, which leads us to our third reality of God's wisdom. It must be proclaimed. We must proclaim God's wisdom. God's wisdom of the cross must be understood, experienced, and proclaimed. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, as Paul moves into uh, verses 1 and 5, he talks about the proclamation of the gospel, and he says this, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of my God with lofty speech or with wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear, with much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power so that your faith, might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And so Paul goes on to talk about the importance of not just proclaiming the gospel, but not relying on ourselves to do it. You know, what is lofty speech? Lofty speech is, it's elevated in style or tone. It's superior in manner. It's flashy. It's witty. It's over-captivating. It's overly entertaining. But Paul says, I wasn't relying on myself or my ability to entertain or conjure up some excitement for people. I wasn't relying on my own wisdom. I wasn't trying to flatter anyone. I wasn't trying to appear wise. Paul is saying, I'm an ordinary guy. Jesus Christ changed my life, and I want to share this good news with you. Have you ever known somebody that could talk somebody into something? Have you ever known somebody that could talk somebody to buy an ice cream when it's 60 degrees below zero? Some people are just good salesmen. I had a friend of mine that heard me teach one side. He said, well, I could do what you do. I said well, he said, well, I'm a great speaker. And we started talking back and forth. I was, you know, how do you become a better speaker? And I stopped. I said, what happens after you die? And he goes, well, I don't know. And I said, well, you can't preach. It doesn't matter how flashy you are. It doesn't matter how good of a speaker you are. It doesn't matter how good of a teacher you are if you're not pointing people to who Jesus is and their need for a relationship with Christ. That's where the wisdom is found. That's what the good news is all about. We want to help people be able to experience their assurance of that and grow in their faith, and that's what Paul's saying. Look what he writes at the beginning of verse 3. I was with you in weakness and in fear and with much trembling. My speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom. Paul, when he spoke, had no sense of self-confidence. It wasn't about what he could do. It wasn't about how good of a speaker he was. He wasn't trying to entertain anybody. He was just speaking the truth that Jesus Christ changed his life. He came in demonstration of spirit and in power so that faith might not rest in the wisdom of men he did not want to talk anybody into anything. He did not want to come in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God that they might see Christ in him. You know, I would have loved to have heard one of Paul's messages. What does it mean to be teaching and weakness and fear and trembling? You know, it's so funny because, you know, before you come out to the stage and you've got this Have you ever had to speak in front of anybody? You get this little knot That doesn't go away. It's not as if I can walk out and say, oh, I'm going to nail this one. We're ready to go. You know, there's this knot that says, man, there's a bunch of people out there. You know, I'm hoping we get this right. I I feel the authority. I mean, I'm accountable for what comes out of my mouth as it relates to this book, right? You know, the Bible says that, you know, those that are are preachers and teachers are held to a higher sense of accountability. Does that not scare you? I mean, part of the dynamic is, yeah, I mean, you've got people out there, you get feedback all the time. But at the end of the day, I'm going to stand before God and he's going to go, hey, what about this? You know, you said that, what about this? I mean, that fear and trembling, I I understand, because in our flesh, we think we can tackle things on our own, but we can't, we have to be dependent on the work of God. And you might not be called to be a preacher or a teacher, we all have different gifts, but as a believer, if you have a relationship with Christ, you have been called to be a witness. Has anybody ever tried to share their faith? It's scary, isn't it? It creates fear and trembling, doesn't it? We're worried about, well, what am I going to say? What if they say this? Am I going to be able to answer their questions? You don't have to. It's not about you. It's about you being comfortable with who you are in Christ and sharing what Christ has done in your life. That's what being a witness is. And we trust God with the results. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you to be witnesses. And that's what we're all called to do is to share the good news with other people. We have to understand it, and we have to experience it, and then we have to go out and we have to proclaim it to other people. That's what we're doing as a church, and that's what we're equipping and encouraging people of our community of faith to do. You know, I can identify with Paul. It's scary to do that, but you don't have to do it in your own strength. You just have to understand where wisdom comes from. You don't have to worry about how you're going to answer a question. You just have to worry about what God might want to do through that. God will take the the smallest of stories and the largest of stories. It does not matter. I have never heard a bad testimony. Have you? The Spirit of God is at work in our lives. We have to understand it. We have to experience it. And we have to proclaim it with others. Those are the things that unify a church. Church. I don't care what color the carpet is. somebody has an opinion, go pick out some carpet. At the end of the day, this ministry exists to help people to understand how to have a relationship with Christ. That's what unites us. There can be no division in a church that is focused on a vision and mission for reaching a community for Christ and growing believers. Can there? That's where division comes from. When we start getting distracted from the wisdom of God. When we start moving away from the power that of God that's at work in our lives, that's where the divisions come from. And so as Paul moves into this letter, he encourages them there in their faith. That's what we looked at last week. This week he's talking about, look, don't be distracted by this world. You need to understand and experience and share the wisdom of God. And so as we move through this series, we're going to be looking at different things that cause division in the church. The lack of wisdom or the focus on worldly wisdom, will cause a division in the church. And Paul's warning for us is not to do that. I don't think we have to worry about that at Springbrook. We have a a great elder board. We have great staff. We've got great leaders. We've got a clear vision. We've got a good discipleship pathway. And I think God is moving us in a direction that we are just not going to experience division. Now, there's going to be things that we disagree with, and that's fine, but those disagreements all need to come back to what's that got to do with who I am in Christ? What's that got to do with what we're supposed to be doing? When you're focused on the wisdom of God, and you're focused on who you are in Christ and what he accomplished at the cross, the divisions will go away. And that's Paul's encouragement for us this morning. So we continue through this series next week. Pastor Matt's going to be teaching for the next three weeks, and he's going to be looking at some different um, realities and divisions that are happening in the church. And then Tim's going to be with us again. This series is going to be seven weeks. We're going to be looking at different things that cause division in the church and how to avoid them. And so this morning, my encouragement is to you to make sure that you understand the wisdom of the cross, that you have experienced it and that you've proclaimed it. If we're focused on those things, God will unite us and strengthen us. I can't wait to see what he does in and through us together as we move through this series. In Proverbs 19, uh, the writer writes this, listen to the advice and accept instruction that you might gain wisdom into the future. You know, listening to advice and accepting instruction requires humility. It's the opposite of pride. It's the opposite of self-sufficiency. We need to listen and accept instruction. We get that from God's Word. We need to be in devotions. We need to be reading God's Word. It informs how we're to live out our life. All Scripture is God-breathed. It's profitable for teaching, for correction, for rebuking, so that we can be what? Found approved. And so we get our instruction and and, uh, our advice from God's Word. It's also important for you to have other... Believers around you. And so, you know, if you're not in a small group, if you're not serving on a ministry team, if you don't know another believer, then you're kind of out there by yourself. Get some advice from somebody around you. Don't make decisions in isolation. When you do that, you gain wisdom for the future. Many are the plans of the man, but the purpose of the Lord is that it's going to prevail. So we need to stand on the wisdom of God. That's my prayer for us as we move through the summer. It's my prayer for us as a church as we seek to continue to be united around God we would have for us as we move forward together. Would you pray with me? Father, I just want to thank you for this uh, day you've given us today. Uh, God, thank you for who we are in Christ. Uh, God, thank you for your provision. Um, God, I pray that you would continue to protect the unity in this church. Uh, God, give us clarity and wisdom as to your leading. God, thank you for Paul's letter to the first Corinthians that we might learn and apply to our own lives uh, these principles of Scripture. God, I just thank you for this day of giving us. We lift the remainder up to it, to you, for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.